Angela just leaned over to me. and She said, I'm glad I don't have to follow that. <laughs> God is good. Amen? Amen. Amen. And um, just the one thing that from that song I just want to carry forward for just a second. My God, that is who you are. When he becomes your God, I mean, when it becomes that personal, that's when it starts to happen. Amen? Amen. And that's not the sermon, and we're not going there, so that's another day. But I would ask you to take your Bible with me and turn to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. When you get to John chapter 4, you're going to go to verse 9. If you're using that pew Bible, it's on page 1,224. And for those of you that are very astute and good learners and got good memories, yes, you're correct. That is exactly the chapter we were on last week. This chapter is so deep, so full of things that God has for us that not only were we in it last week, not only are we going to be in it this week, we are also going to be in John chapter 4 next week. And if God gives us the freedom, we'll move on after that. If not, we'll be in John chapter 4 again. But John chapter 4. Last week, we made the following statements. These are just summary statements. That Jesus needed, craved, compelled, desired, had to go through Samaria. He had a divine appointment with this woman. It is God's will that we become more and more like Jesus every day. And that Jesus needed to share, to do the will of his Father, and that we desire to be that way as well. And we also made this statement that until you, individually, follower of Christ, until you have an overwhelming, compelling desire craving need to share Jesus with others, you won't. That's just the way it is, church. And I believe, I mentioned it last week, and we'll say it again today. We prayed about it this morning in the men's breakfast. I believe that God desires that he craves to do something big amongst his people here at First Baptist Church. I believe that we may sit on the brink of revival, of spiritual outbreak, of spiritual growth, of seeing lives changed. But God is waiting on us to have that need. Now, if you have not taken time, if you missed last week and you have not taken time to listen to last week's sermon, I encourage you to go do that. As I mentioned, we were in John chapter 4 this is John chapter 4. We're going to be in John chapter 4. You don't want to miss the first one. It's not because I did anything. It's because that God had a great message for us that I believe springboards into this message. So I encourage you, if you have not heard last week's message, go to Facebook, go to YouTube, go to our church website. It's there. If you go, I can't find it anywhere, you reach out to me, I'll get you a personal link and we'll send it to you. Zach, make a note of that. Make it a priority. Now, today we're going to pick back up in John chapter 4. I'm going to ask you to stand with me. This will be your last 
standing. I think a number of you were standing with me just a few minutes ago as we worshiped. Now we're going to stand as we worship again, as we read God's word. We're going to pick up in verse 9. I'm going to read through verse 29. John chapter 4, verse 9 says, Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? And Jesus answered and said unto her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst, nor come here to draw. And Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. And the woman answered and said, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, You have well said, I have no husband. For you've had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband in that. You spoke truly. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. And at this point, the disciples came, and they marveled that he talked with the woman, yet no one said, what do you seek, or why are you talking with her? The woman then left her water pot, went her way into the city, and said to the men, Come see a man who told me all things I ever did. Could this be called the Christ? Thank you. You may be seated. Keep your scripture open. I want to point out to you that on this call to action, on this bulletin, on the back, there are 12 lines. Now, that didn't happen because I said I need 12 lines. I'm just pointing out to you that there are lines on the back of this for notes. I'm going to give you some steps. I'm giving you that notice right now. I'm going to give you some steps that you might want to write down. And if you don't have a journal or a piece of paper, or if that little pink envelope you're scribbling on runs out of room, you can use this. So I'm going to give you some steps this morning. I just want to point that opportunity out to you. Last week, we stated that the first step, speaking of steps, in personal evangelism is sharing Jesus with others, is having a need. Step number one, we talked last week. I'm going to build off of this step, but step number one is you got to have a need to share Jesus. That's the, if not, you never will. And the thing about first steps are they always lead to next steps. Addie, a granddaughter, she was uh 16 months Friday. She's been walking for, I don't know, 
four months or a little bit more, some period of time she's been walking. But watching her transition to walking was a pretty cool thing. You could see at first she wanted to, and she'd begin to stand up at things and maybe let go. And then you'd see that she'd scoot along things. You know how this is, right? And then you'd see that she'd take a step or two, and then the next thing you know, and we've got videos where we were nailed down three feet from each other, and then she would hobble and wobble and just fall into the arms of the person she's walking to. And then those gaps would get further and further apart and longer and longer, and the next thing you know, you're not paying attention, and there she goes. And now she walks everywhere she wants to. She's so good at walking that she thinks she can run, and she's not gotten good at running yet, and she falls a little bit. And you're going, Jeff, that's a sweet story. Why are you telling us that at all? Well, first steps always lead to next steps. And as you take those steps, you get better and better. See, this scripture, John chapter 4, is not only a fascinating story, but it contains the next steps as shown to us by Jesus through Scripture, that we must take if we are going to be about the Father's will. And being about the Father's will, church, is sharing Jesus with other people. So verse 9, the woman, she speaks to Jesus, and she says, why are you talking to me? Now, if you recall from last week, or if you look up in verse 7, Jesus asked her for a drink. Now, this woman, she said, why are you talking to me? She understood the cultural differences. She understood the gender differences. She understood the national differences. And in every way, she said, you're not supposed to be speaking to me. She was surprised that a Jewish man would speak to her, a Samaritan woman. You know, it's interesting. This woman had specifically come to get water at the well at noon, the sixth hour, hottest part of the day when nobody goes to get water. She went there, church, we have to know, she went there to stay away from people, not be with people. You see, if you wanted to be with people, there are many times, scripturally and culturally at that time, where they would go early or they would go in the evening to do this. But when you go at noon, when you go on the hottest part of the day, you want to be alone. She was seeking to stay away from people. She was hurting She was guilty, and she was in need, which is why I've shared with you step two. Step one was having the need. Step two of of personal evangelism is we must initiate the conversation. Do you know that people that are lonely, people that are hurt, people that are guilty, people that are ashamed, they will do anything they can do to stay away from everybody else because they don't want to deal with it. And Jesus said, I'm right here. And he initiated the conversation. Personal evangelism, you have to have a need. Second thing is, you got to start it. Without taking that step, there will be no more steps. Paul Reese said this, the gospel is neither a discussion nor a debate. It is an announcement. Announcements are meant to be shared. Amen? We must desire for people to hear, and then we must tell them. Do you know in this day and age, and you can wait on it, it could happen. It's not likely to. It would be rare for someone to run up to you and go, would you please tell me about Jesus? That's just not the way it works. 
Jesus teaches us in this moment, initiate the conversation. We must go. We must share. We must speak. We must initiate. Think for just a moment before you knew Jesus. For some of you, you've got to think not far, and others of you, you've got to think back just a little bit. But before you knew Jesus, you were lost, you were hurting, you were seeking, you were alone. You may not have recognized it at that time, but you now know that to be true. And then God sent someone, maybe many someones, into your life to teach you about Jesus. Miss Missy's doing that right now. Mark and Rebecca, they're doing that right now. They're speaking into it. If you teach children Sunday school class, you've been speaking into lives. Keep it up. It's a big deal. When you walk with, talk with people, I can go back and list people all through my life that were speaking Jesus, and they initiated the conversation. Church, that's really important. Initiate the conversation. Verse 10, Jesus answered her question, why are you talking to me? Let me reread verse 10. He says, Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Jesus said this in summary. Listen to this. God has a gift. God sent his son. You can know him. You can ask. You can have life. The gospel, all in one verse, Jesus just laid it out there to her. Said differently. Jesus could have said this, salvation is available. There is a Savior, and all you must do is ask. Step three, church, share the good news. Early, first, up front. Note how simple Jesus made it. You go, yeah, he's Jesus. He's the Son of God. He can make everything simple. No, Jesus is giving you an outline in how to reach out to people. How Jesus simply shared the gospel. God loves you. He sent his son. You can ask and have life. The gospel, yes, is very complex. And it will take a lifetime of commitment and study for you to understand its depth and its breadth and its length and all the other things you want to describe it as. But don't forget, at its very core, the gospel is very simple. Jesus even reminded us, he said, unless you come to me like a child. Church, the gospel is complex in that it's deep, but it is simple. One of the failures that we can make, probably the greatest failure when you get to this point in a conversation, is not to share the gospel. Have you ever had that urge inside of you? And I hope that you have, and I hope the next time you get it, you do something about it. You get that urge, and you go, oh, I knew I was supposed to say something. I know it's time for me to share the gospel. And we hem and haul around. We talk about sports, or we talk about the weather, or we talk about this, or we talk about that. And the next thing you know, we just run out of time, and we never get to it. And as we walk away, we're reminded by the Spirit of God, oh, man, I just missed an opportunity. We've not been called to talk about all those other things. We've been called to share the gospel. So get it out there early and boldly. Note that Jesus brought up the gospel to this woman in a way that she would understand it, talking about water at the well. 
Now, if you were to go to John chapter 3, Jesus spends a great deal of time talking about the, with the learned teacher, Nicodemus, and talks about needing to be born again. If you were to turn to John chapter 6, Jesus would talk to the people that he had just fed bread as being the bread of life. Step four then would be speak to people in a way they can relate, in a way that they understand and get it. That's what Jesus did at the well. Let's talk about water. Find something in common and use that as your transitional way to get the conversation started. And I believe that God will provide a connection for you. If he is calling you to share, and he is, if he has brought you into an opportunity, and he will as you seek and pray for that, when that time comes and you'll know it, your heart rate will increase, your heart will rise right up in here, you'll think you're not going to be able to say or do anything. But I want you to remember what God told the disciples. He said, don't worry about what you'll say. When the time comes, the Holy Spirit of God will provide to you exactly what you are to say. We fret so much about what we're going to say, we end up saying nothing. If we would just trust God and put ourselves there, that God will speak to us in the moment. Now, this woman who hears about Jesus sharing the gospel that way, she says, now, I know you're not talking about this well, this water, because you have nothing to draw with. So she said, where do you get this living water? Did you notice she picked right up on it? Oh, we're not talking about this well. We're not talking about this water. She says, where do you get what you're talking about? She does not understand fully yet, but did you notice she's interested? She responded and kept the conversation going. Church, can I remind you that long before you step into an evangelical situation, long before you get an opportunity to share your testimony in Jesus with somebody, that God is already working. God was working in the life of that woman. That woman may not, likely didn't even know it, and brought her there to that moment. That we are called to join him in his work. We are not to create the work. We are to join him in the work that he is already doing. You see, the Spirit of God always goes before us when we are to share the gospel. It's not up to you. Your success and failure is not hinging upon you. This is God's work. He's just asking us to join him. And her asking Jesus questions, church, is a good thing. Think about this. Have you ever talked with somebody and they just quit talking back to you? You're going, oh, this isn't going anywhere. But she asked Jesus a question. Are you greater than Jacob? Step five, expect questions. Just expect them. You see, so many times when we're sharing the gospel with somebody, we're going, what if they ask a question? No, just expect them. Be ready for them. And praise God for them because, see, you're going, when they're interested, they ask questions. When they're not interested, you'll know it. And it won't be because they're asking questions. Number six, stay in the game. In verses 13 and 14, look at what Jesus does. Her question talking about 
this well and are you greater than Jacob? Jesus restates the gospel in verses 13 and 14. He says, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I have, that I shall give him will never thirst, but that water I shall give him will become a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. Jesus restates the gospel, says the same thing back to her differently. This water, this gift will be forever. That's what he said. He said, you'll never thirst again. The world's water, you'll be thirsty soon, will never satisfy. If you're a note taker, write down John chapter 7, verses 37 and 38. John chapter 7, verses 37 and 38. I just want to read that to you because I want you to see the, the consistency of the Scripture. It says, On the last day, that great joy of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Church, the gospel is the same. In every situation that you're going to share it in, it's the same. Jesus said, the water I give. Do you notice that slight transition in the statement? They're talking about this well. They're talking about Jacob. They're talking about water and life and thirsty. And then Jesus said, but this water I give. Jesus just stepped right in there. This water I give. Jesus said, I'm the source of that water and it will be under everlasting. Now, this woman does not understand fully, but she's heading that way. Because look at what she says in verse 15. She says, give me this water so that I don't thirst. She said, I want some of that. That sounds good. I want to hear more. But then she also goes on in verse 15 and said, also, I don't want to have to come here and draw anymore. And it's at this point, if we're not careful, we'll see this as it's totally over her head. No, I think it's totally right where God wants her to be because not only is she going, I want some of that. But by her statement of, and I don't want to come here and draw anymore, what she's saying is, I'm so tired of this life. Think about that for a second. Every day waking up without hope. Every day walking, walking, walking. Every day guilt, shame, lonely, every day. And she said, I don't want to do this anymore. You got to stay in the game. Verse 16, Jesus turns up the heat to her. He said, uh, go call your husband and come here. Now, of course, we know from reading that this woman answers him honestly. And Jesus commends her. He said, you have well said. And he goes on in verse 18, and he says, you have had five husbands and now live with another man. You have been honest. Jesus brought up her sin. Like this woman, we must all come to the point where we recognize our sin and understand that God sees it what we are. Step seven. Some of you might think this is the hard step. Must bring up sin. Must bring up sin and the problem it creates. 
Now, this is typically where your testimony, your personal testimony is key because your testimony will probably go something like my testimony, especially when you take time to write it down and hone it in and go over it and review it. It'll get better. And it'll include something like, I once didn't know Jesus, and I was a sinner, and I was lost. My sin separated me from God. I could not help myself. And through people who loved me, who initiated a conversation, who brought up sin, I realized I needed a Savior. You must relate to sin. See, church, having a gospel conversation with anybody and never getting to the problem of sin is to help nobody come to know Jesus. Jesus came to fix our problem, and our problem is our sin has separated us from God. Not just your sin and my sin, but their sin as well. And we tend not to want to talk about things like that, but Jesus said, no, go right to it. Because see, facing and recognizing the problem of sin is helping somebody understand that there is a new way. You have to recognize, right before Jesus brought the sin, the woman said, I want more of this. I don't want my life to be the same way. Church, don't miss this point. What Jesus is really saying. Yeah, I know you. I know where you've been. I know what you've done. I know why you're here coming to get water in the heat of the day. And I came. Praise God. I came specifically to speak to you. That's what she heard. See, Jesus faced her with the reality of her sin and the brokenness of her life, and she didn't respond by going, now who are you? She said, you're right. You see, we, have, we don't forget, church, God is working. He's working before you got there. He's working while you're there. He's given you the words to say. He'll continue to give you the words to say, but it's not about you because God is working in them at the same time. He's just leveraging you as his tool. Jesus, church, this point, Jesus recognized her sin but he was interested in her heart. Step number eight, recognize sin, but be interested in their heart. You see, in this world, so many times we expect people to stop, 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 and then come to Jesus. Church, that's just not possible. You see, the stopping is the power of God in our lives. And if God is not in that life, the stopping is not possible. Recognize the sin, but be interested in the heart. Come to Jesus, and he will take care of the sin. I think it was two Wednesday nights ago. And so if you were here on Wednesday night, I don't want you to check out, but you can check out for about the next 30 seconds if you got to. But if not, just stay with me. But in Mark chapter 1, verses 40 to 45, Jesus comes in contact with a leper. And that leper, against all convention, and we talked on that Wednesday night about the 
perils of sin, I mean, perils of leprosy, the troubles of leprosy, the social outcasts, the physical pain, the mental, the relational, the everything. It was just horrible. And this leper broke the rules, broke the law, and saw Jesus and came to Jesus when they shouldn't have. And they said, Jesus, I know you can heal me if you want to. And Scripture teaches, and you can go back and look. I said it's Mark chapter 1, verses 40 and 45. Go read this point. It could change how you see things. It says that Jesus touched him, and then, church, catch this, and then Jesus healed him. Now, if I was given the power of God, if God said, Jeff, I want you to handle this, I'll tell you what I'd do with the leper. I'd heal them first, and then I'd touch them after they were clean. But church, don't miss that point. This will change the way you look at people. Jesus said, yeah, you got needs. Your greatest need is for me, so I'm going to touch your life. And then after I touch your life and invade that life of yours, then we'll deal with your problems. So step number eight, recognize the sin, but be interested in their heart. Also, we do some great Bible study on Wednesday nights at 6. If you want to come, love to have you here. Verse 20, the woman responds. The typical way facing our sin causes us to respond. She deflects. She seeks to change the subject. You see there in verse 20, she said, Our Father and you Jews, you know what she did? She pulled the religion card. People always pull the religion card. My grandmother, I used to go to church. I believe in God. I'm a Baptist. I'm a Methodist. I'm a Catholic. Whatever. They, we pull the religion card. This church hurt me. That did this. We pull the religion card. They, she pulls it right here. She brings up religion. Step nine, be ready for deflection. Be ready for this card. See, when you know it's coming, because see, when they start pulling out religion, man, they are digging deep in their trying not to give in to Jesus. Deflection. People will do about anything to justify, rationalize, or validate their sins. And make, make this spiritual note. The hardest time to turn from your sin is just before you turn from your sin. I think that needs to be said again. The hardest time anybody, including you and them, will ever have in turning from their sin is just before they are going to turn from their sin. And Jesus responds to her religion question with an eternal perspective. He says, verse 21, the hour is coming. Verse 23, the hour is coming that true worshipers will worship in spirit and truth. He's saying, young lady, I'm not offering a religion. I'm talking about a relationship. And when we can get people through that barrier of religion and into this understanding that God desires be through love, a relationship with them, 
you can see how it all changes, right? This woman says in verse 25, she said, I know the Messiah is coming. She says, I believe in God. Step number 10, I've given you, I haven't missed any numbers, have I? Are we good? Step number 10, point them to Jesus. She says, I believe in God. That's what she says, right? I believe in God, and he's going to send the Messiah one day. I believe in God. Based on how I read Scripture, people can believe in God all they want to. Even the demons believe in God. But until people come to know God through personal faith in Jesus Christ, they cannot be saved. They're going to pull the I know God card. You got to pull the yeah, but do you know his son card? Jesus says in verse 26, this is an important thing. He says, I am the Christ. You know, this is the only time in Scripture, except for the trial of Jesus, this is the only time in Scripture where Jesus clearly states who he is. I am he. This is also the first time in the book of John that we see someone give their heart to Christ. You see, when people understand he is the Christ, they cannot help but yield their life to him. Because this woman encountered Jesus, is why she's different. See, church is not enough. Serving, not enough. Giving, not enough. Believing in God, not enough. Being good, not enough. Anything short of coming to faith in Christ is just not enough. And this woman's life was changed in this moment. She came for water, but do you see she ran away and left her pots behind? She came isolated and in shame, but she left to go tell others. She came clinging to a religion, and she left thinking about the Messiah. A changed life leads to, a, leads to living a life that is changed. Now, I've given you 10 points, one last week and nine today. Jesus gave us the process of personal evangelism. If you've missed one, I've got them. I'll fill in the blank. If you'd like to discuss one, I'm ready to talk. But church, you've now been armed by our Savior with a step-by-step process in how to make things different. And you're going, Jeff, you said you're going to be in John chapter 4 next week. What's left? Oh, my goodness, so much. So study John chapter 4. But really, go back this week and see how God has unfolded these steps. And then ask him to get you busy being obedient to following these steps. You see, Having things to hold on to when you're learning to walk is handy. That's what these steps are. Eventually, 
when you walk them enough, you'll just be running through life, sharing Jesus with people, being what you're called to be.